Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Alt Reports Radio. We're very happy to be here with Will Stringer of Chisos Capital. Uh, and we're going to talk about a whole uh, different kind of investment that I haven't had anyone on here to talk about at all. Will was a referral from uh, Joey Flores over at Inversion Art. I uh, was doing uh, something interesting over there in the art space, and we have an, an earlier episode of that. Will, thanks so much for coming on here. Uh, what does Chisos do? Yeah, so Chisos is providing day one capital today to entrepreneurs um, and in the future to athletes, uh, sub-pro athletes, and creators, makers, and artists. So, you know, you mentioned Joey, we do something you know, quite different in different types of artists, but we're using some similar uh, structuring in terms to actually mobilize that capital to the people that need it uh, to pursue their creative passion. Okay, so tell me what day one capital means. Is it, how is this different from uh, angel or seed? Sure. So I'll give you the example uh, in the entrepreneur world, because that's where we've done 42 deals now. That's where we're operating. That's where we have a fund that we're investing out of. Um, okay. Basically, there's three buckets where we identified our capital is useful and is filling a gap. So one is day one. When you start a business, usually that first money is from your bank account, your mom, dad, uncle's bank account. Um, maybe a, you take out a credit card or a home loan not great options there, um, especially if you don't have personal savings or a rich uncle that can write a check. Nobody wants to go take out a credit card, but many do if that's their only option to start a business. And so our day one capital uh, fills that gap. It says, all right, we can invest up to 50K pre-traction or pre-revenue because wow. what we're going to do is we're going to invest in you uh, and your future earning potential. And you know, again, back to your previous episode where Joey was talking about income share agreements. We use an income share agreement in our terms. So okay. when we write a check up to 50K, we're actually signing an income share agreement with the individual, and then their company is issuing us a safe or a simple agreement okay. for future equity, usually in the range of 1% to 3%. So we actually get both as the investor with one check, and that's what allows us to come in so early when Often the business isn't quite financeable, uh, but the person is. And, and we underwrite the person just like we underwrite the business and really come up with uh, an opportunity score uh, depending on some of the factors there. So I've heard about this sort of arrangement in, I don't think the name was Code Academy, but similar businesses to that where they might train up a developer and then you get a share of their uh, future income. How is this different from that? And what is the scope of what you have a piece of going forward in their, in their, is it their business? Or is mm -hmm. it their, like, what, what is the scope of that? Yeah. So the first differentiating factor is the income share agreement is being used in the education space quite a bit. And yeah. that trade-off there is saying, Hey, I'm going to give you an education and in return, you're going to pay me back a percentage of your income over time, usually capped at a a time amount, a, a time cap or an amount cap. What yeah. we're doing is very similar terms, but we're saying, we're not gonna give you an education. We're gonna give you a check. We're gonna write yeah. you a check for up to $50,000. And then you'll pay us back uh, on a similar terms, income share agreement until you hit an amount cap or a time cap. Now our standard terms start at about a 10% income share over a $40,000 salary floor, salary threshold uh, until you hit a two X cap 
or you make 120 months of payments. Hmm. Um, so that's our standard terms. Uh, and there's the ability to pay 1.5x if you pay within five years. So kind of an early pre early payment benefit. Hmm. So tell me a little bit about who you select for for this. How what's your criteria for that? Sure. So our underwriting process starts with an open online application. Uh, you can go on our website, big orange button says apply here. We look at three buckets of info. Um, the first is the financial picture of the individual. So we're looking at their previous income levels, their you know, credit history, debt to income ratios, really trying to get a sense of what is your future earning potential. We're trying to say, all right, if we invest in you, usually we're day one investors. And so if you look at the stats, you know, something like 90, 95% of companies will fail. And so yeah. what are you going to do? Do we think you're going to be successful going forward, whether that's starting another business or going back and getting a, a corporate job? So we really want to understand that piece. Um, secondly, we're looking at psychographic information. So grit, hustle, ambition, leadership, coachability. We're really trying to get a sense of, do you have some of those traits that typically indicate success as an entrepreneur? Uh, we look at those both from interviewing and talking to the individual, as well as from references. We, we ask for references on those things. Um, and then lastly, just like any uh, you know, angel investor, we're looking at the business. We're trying to understand go-to-market strategy, business model, uh, ideal customer profile, those types of things uh, to know, you know, have you put enough thought into your business and does this business have a chance of success? Usually you don't have any traction or revenue yet. So there's really not a lot of proof there, but have you really thought through it? And do you have a good plan of attack to take our check and go try and de-risk your business? Uh, we we want to see that you've really thought through the business. Right. So the Right now, your checks are exclusively for entrepreneurs. So this is pre-seed, pre-angel. This is somebody's got a business idea. You want to see, do I believe in this person uh, as a person and invest in them from there? But it sounds like, unless I mistook what you said, it sounds like your, your return is not exclusive to that business. If they decide, if something happens, that business falls apart and they go uh, get a job, are you, do you have an agreement to have a piece of that? Yes, yeah. So the income share agreement, it stays in place and it's with the person. Um, okay. And so we always say, look, worst case scenario, we make an investment day one, day two, your business fails or you decide to shut it down. The income share agreement is still in place. Um, it's a pretty flexible instrument but it, we're betting on you. And so we're betting on your ability to go earn income. And we've had some invest, uh, some founders come to us, you know, nine, 12, 18 months later and say, look, my business isn't going to work. Um, yeah. so I'm shutting it down. And for us, we're in a unique position to say, okay, you know, that's a bummer that that equity is not worth anything, but how can we help you next? Are you going to get a job? Are you going to start a new company? You know, we're invested in you. And so how can we help you? Um, and some have gone on back to get a job. Some have started new companies, um, but either way, we're, we're still behind them and in their corner because we have that income share agreement with them and we want to see them succeed. Hmm. So how many people have you funded so far? So we've made 42 investments, um, about one and a half million in, in investment. Um, that's over the past two years or two and a half years. Most of that is this year. Um, Types of companies range from, uh, you know, obviously tech companies, so software applications, uh, infrastructure, 
but also some food and beverage or e-commerce or, or more CPG type products. Uh, really, we're just looking for capital efficiency and scalable in the business. Uh, so you know, no single location bakery. Uh, we want our you know, relatively small check to actually move the needle on you know, some type of scalable business. So when you say capital efficiency, what does that mean in this regard? Yeah, I, it's usually easy to just say like, what's not capital efficient. Um, you know, if you have some kind of big build out for a physical space and it's going to cost okay. a million bucks, probably not right for us. Um, on the flip side of that, if $50,000, if you're you know, a developer or maybe you have a cheap outsourced development team and $50,000 can get your minimum viable product finished, then that's mm. perfect for us. That's a great use for our money. So, so the risk is that their business doesn't take off, but you're mitigating that risk by having a long tail on with the income share agreement across any other income that they may make. Yeah. There, there's a couple ways to look at it. You know, sometimes we say, look, we're investing in people. Uh, those people happen to be entrepreneurs today. Uh, you know, knock on wood, we're about to do our first athlete deal. Uh, and then creators, makers, and artists in the future. And so really from an alternative investment standpoint, we are investing in people and their future earning potential. Mm. Um, the upside, asymmetric upside that we look for is really just kind of gravy on top. And, and that's why we've chosen those classes of individuals because they're all pursuing something, whether it's building a business or training for the major leagues. And they all have the potential to have a very asymmetric upside. But at the same time, they're also going to be successful uh, if we do our underwriting correctly as, as a person. They're going to have a great career. They're going to do well in life. And so we came at it from, all right, how do we structure an investment to get a piece of the upside should they succeed, but also protect our downside uh, should they not succeed, but also make it fair for the individual and provide a capital option where none really exist um, hmm. you know, it's outside of the ones I mentioned before. Yeah. So you've mentioned entrepreneurs and creators. So it sounds like you're really pretty, pretty broad and also athletes, which I want to get to in just a minute. Uh, but it sounds like you're really pretty broad in terms of who you're talking to, who you're looking at for, for investment. Yeah, we are. Um, I'd say today. So we're deploying out of and raising our fund too. Um, so it's a $5 million vehicle. Um, that's kind of our current focus. And that's where we have a, a pool of dry powder to make investments out of. The athlete space and the creator space, we're just starting to dip our toe into. We're talking okay. to a lot of individuals, um, trying to kind of hone our underwriting models. You know, an entrepreneur's upside in a company is very different than like a major league, um, a major league career. And kind of underwriting that is a little bit differently, is a little bit yeah. different. So we're in the very beginning stages of that. And like I said, hopefully about to make our first athlete investment as kind of a pilot, like, Hey, we, we did a deal now. Um, now let's see how we can scale that up. Okay. So are these open or are they already, have you already closed your first fund or is it uh, so our, on a rolling our fund two, Yeah. Our fund two is currently open. Um, you know, we're using a 506 C exemption so we can talk about it. Um, we've closed about 1.4 million. Uh, of the $5 million vehicle. Um, so that, that's our fund two. And then our fund three, as we look forward, you know, likely going to be you know, an athlete focused fund or kind of a mixed use fund where it's athletes and entrepreneurs 
uh, hmm. kind of both combined. So tell me a little bit about how that would work with the athlete. Are you finding them in college or in high school, or this is when they get into a farm league or when does that, how does that work? So it's usually talking to scouts. Um, so we've kind of identified scouts as our primary sourcing network and it's usually post college, um, pre majors. So at that okay. inflection point of, Hey, I've been playing, you know, in college or growing up, um, I have a chance to make it to the top level, the major leagues. I am now in this inflection point where I need to train or travel or spend my full efforts pursuing that goal. And that costs mm -hmm. money. You know, if you're a minor league baseball player, you know, 20, 30, $40,000 a year to live and train full time, have the best nutritionist and not be at a disadvantage for the guys that don't have to work part time. Like, you know, some right. have to work part time and they're at a disadvantage. So we're trying to bridge that gap. Or if you're traveling on say the corn Ferry golf tour, um, that costs money. And I've had a number of conversations where individuals either have to stop pursuing their career because they can't raise the money to keep training. Um, or there's just some weird deals that get done out there that we're trying to provide an alternative that's very transparent and standardized so that some of those kind of shadier, shadier deals don't get done. Hmm. So tell me a little bit about what you feel like your edge is here in being able to select the right candidates for this. Um, I guess in which, just in general? Yeah, in general, uh, you mentioned credit reports and in past history. Is it? Do you have a team of? Uh, I'm just, you know, looking at uh, you know a PL on a plumbing company or something is easy to to understand what what you're looking at. Talking about a, a person's uh, mm -hmm. life and under underwriting their income potential feels like something to, you know totally different. Yeah, it's honestly pretty easy um, in terms of getting to their future earning potential. So our biggest driving factor is typically what is your previous income level? And so if okay. you were already earning say a hundred thousand um, dollars and you're say marketing or you were in sales or finance or something like that, it's a pretty easy path to say, okay, if this company doesn't work out, you are already employable. Like we think you're employable at this income level. So that's pretty yeah. easy to understand their future earning potential. And then from there, it's kind of augmenting the risk level. So it's understanding, okay, your credit score, your debt to income ratio, like, is there anything that really could derail this and, mm. uh, you know, cause you to declare bankruptcy or cause you to not go back and, and earn that level of income or achieve some modicum of success, um, somehow, some way. So that piece right. is pretty simple. Um, the baseball and the creator world is a little bit different. Often these athletes, they're right out of school, so they don't really have previous income levels or in previous employment. And so yeah. the underwriting there is a little bit different. It's looking at, you know, do they have a degree? Where's that degree from? What's their major? Um, and then leaning a little bit more on the, the psychographic um, traits. It's understanding, you know, are they gritty? Do they have ambition? Like, what do they want to do? And you, you kind of start to get a sense of someone, um, especially an athlete. I mean, they've been training their whole life typically at this point to reach yeah. the highest levels of success. So they know what yeah. it means to work hard and they know what it means to be the best and they just want to succeed. And so that's a profile that 
is indicative of some kind of success, even if they don't end up making the upper echelon of their sport. Hmm. That makes sense. I have a cousin who did fairly well in the minors for a long time, but it wasn't, it didn't never went to a major, uh, he never went to the majors, but then it did end up building a, a, a very successful company after that, just out of, you know, pure drive and, you know, work ethic and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So that does, that resonates. Talk a little bit about mm -hmm. the risk level there. It sounds to me like the, you mentioned the word bankruptcy and this isn't school loans, so it could be discharged. Is that the main risk mm -hmm. that you have in this? Yeah, it's bankruptcy or it's um, just dropping out of the workforce. So with our investment, let's take the, the equity piece or the upside out of it. The income share agreement alone, basically it says, if you're earning less than the salary floor, which today is 40,000, you know, it may move up to 50,000, just kind of adjusting for, for inflation. If you're earning below that floor, you don't owe us anything. And so if you go the entire repayment period, earning less than that threshold, then your contract is complete and you've not paid us anything. So we are really taking the risk that we think you're going to earn a certain level of income and you're, you're going to be ambitious and you're going to try and achieve things. Um, but there's always that risk that, you know, Hey, someone maybe, uh, trying to think of a, an example, you know, they just decide, Hey, I'm just going to live with my parents full time and not really make much, um, for you know, <laughs> yeah. 10 years, you yeah. know, that, that could happen. And that's a risk. Right. Yeah. Go hide out in the Philippines for a while. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about uh, who's a good investor. So you said you do have to be accredited for this, obviously, to in, invest in this. Yeah. And yep. so what is your investment minimum there? Yeah, today it's 100,000. Um, we, most of our investors so far have been high net worth individuals and small family offices. Um, okay. They are investors that fit in a couple different camps. So one is they're looking for cash flow. Um, okay. We do have cash flow that comes off of our fund. We distribute okay. cash quarterly. Um, the cash is increasing over time. So day one, when we're constructing our portfolio, typically 30% of our investments uh, in founders, they're making payments day one because they either have a full-time job or they have some kind of salary. So they're making payments. The yep. other 70% are not making payments because they're full-time on their business and they're not really paying themselves much over time that shifts. So over time, a founder is either going to raise money and start paying themselves a salary, or they're gonna go get a, a job because um, their company didn't work out or because they need money to live. Yep. And so they will move over the threshold and then that cash flow will be increasing. So we have cash flow. So some investors are looking for cash flow. Others are looking for the combination of, hey, I like exposure to these interesting tech companies, these early stage, you know, potentially very fast growing tech companies. I don't like the fact that so many go to zero and mm -hmm. that so many venture companies actually don't have that great of a track record. And yeah. so I like your model because it de-risks the downside. In a worst case, well, obviously worst case is, is zero, um, but if you take a very unlikely downside case for us, you're still earning 1% uh, single digit returns. So call it five or 6% returns. That's a pretty decent downside, assuming everything else goes wrong. We're yeah. targeting 20% returns. And that's about 12 to 
uh, returns from the income share agreements, and then another call it eight to five percent from the equity portion of our portfolio. So mm-hmm. investors like that blend. They like the upside exposure with the downside protection. Um, mm-hmm. And then lastly, the combination or the 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 demographics of our portfolio have proven to be uh, extremely advantageous in terms of mobilizing capital to more underrepresented groups of founders. So I'd say about 65% of the founders in our portfolio are either female or minority founders. Now, this was not what we kind of set out to do and we don't have a mandate, but I think it's further proof that the current system in terms of who gets that early stage money is pretty broken. And the, the stats kind of show that. And so by building a new system and a new way to mobilize capital, uh, we're mobilizing capital to some very attractive opportunities. Um, and about 65% of those opportunities for us happen to be with underrepresented founders, uh, still solving big problems uh, across hmm. the U.S. We're, we're U.S. And focused mo- right now. Most of the companies that they're starting, are they primarily in tech at this point or are they in a variety of industries? Yeah, it's primarily tech. Uh, I think right now it's about 75, 80% tech and then about 20% call it a hard good uh, food and beverage or e-commerce or something like that. Um, okay. But every company that we invest in has the scalability potential. So it has the potential to you know, be that unicorn, um, but we don't necessarily need that to hit our returns in our portfolio. Um, hmm. If you think about the rise of like the micro SaaS, somebody getting to a million dollars of ARR or 5 million yeah. of ARR and then selling on, on micro acquire. Like that's perfect for us. We don't need the unicorn. Some right. kind of sale like that gives us some, some pretty good return on our equity. Wow. That's cool. And so hold period, I assume this is pretty long. You're locked up for a while. 10 year hold. Um, but we're targeting about a four year until you get your capital back one X capital back. Another okay. call it three to four years until you get your uh, blended of call it 1.8 back from the income share agreement. And then yep. just like any other early stage investor, the equity is what's going to have a long tail on it. Um, yeah. So, you know, we would try to push for monetization. Um, but yeah, that's that's what will have the long tail on it. It's just the equity. Yeah. Have you found yourself in a position where you've had uh have you had failures yet that you've had to collect on? Uh, in terms of like defaults? Defaults, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, no defaults yet. Um, and, you know, I attribute that to a couple things. Um, so one, the income share agreement, a default looks much different than a traditional credit instrument. Um, yep. If you're not making money, you don't owe anything. So it's kind of hard to, in theory, not be able to afford the payment. Um, two, you're, you're getting a check and you're getting support and you're uh, basically becoming part of a community that we're building. And so, you know, it's, it's not like a faceless online lender. You know, I have talked to every single person that we've invested in. I have made introductions and our team, we've all been helping you as a person. And so there's a little bit of that, like you, you, I mean, I'm sure it'll happen eventually, but you wouldn't be just like defaulting on a faceless organization, you'd be defaulting on people that have been helping you. So there's a little bit of a social element, but then lastly, we do use a servicer. Um, So we use an income share agreement servicer. They have a protocol where, you know, if you're not uh, reporting your income or if you're ghosting or you just don't respond, then they'll send you through their protocol that eventually can end up in collections. 
Um, yep. So we, we do have all of that played out. Um, hmm. The last piece I would mention is, you know, as part of our kind of compliance or our tracking of things, at the end of every year, we do get the IRS form, Form 1040 uh, from individuals. And so, you know, if you're lying to us and then we see your IRS form and then there's a mismatch, then, you know, yeah. we're just going to have a have to have a conversation around like what happened here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. This is one of the this is one of the more unusual uh, investments that I've heard of for sure, and I, I think it's it's really an interesting uh, tack and an interesting take. And I'm interested also to see what your new fund in the, the how it performs with the athletes. I think that'll be that'll be really something. So I appreciate you coming on here. How can people find you if they're interested either in getting funded or uh, in mm -hmm. investing with you? Yeah. So. The best place to start is our website. So chisos.io, C-H-I-S-O-S.io. We have a link for applying for funding. Uh, we also have a smaller link that says uh, if you're interested in, in investing. Uh, we actually have an online investor portal. It's pretty self-serve. Um, so if you want to take a look at all our docs, you can uh, after certifying accreditation. Um, I'm on Twitter, WD Stringer, also at Chisos Capital, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find on all the socials and always happy to okay. jump on a call with anyone, whether it's a founder or an investor. Great. Well, we'll make sure we get all that in the show notes. Well, I really appreciate you coming on here uh, and I wish you the best of luck with that fund and uh, we'll get this out so folks can learn about it. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem.